Support for the ShakeOut podcast comes from Port San Antonio, a technology campus where nearly 4,000 new jobs in aerospace, cybersecurity, robotics, and other fields have been created in the last three years. And in collaboration with the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology and other partners, the port will be home to a comprehensive eSports arena and innovation center in early 2022. More at techportsa.com. So now we are ready to leave. Hi again, it's Paul Flav. This is The Shakeout. That's me back in late June. Are you sure you're ready to leave? I think so. Okay, let's do it. My wife and I had planned a two-week vacation to Charleston and Savannah over her birthday. We're going to fly into Charleston, take the train down. We hadn't been to either city. But then COVID happened. The first hotel we booked in, in Charleston, closed permanently. And we, like a lot of people, decided that flying at the time wasn't for us. In June, the number of people screened by TSA dropped by 80% from the previous year. We're going to drive across country to uh, Savannah, Georgia. So we drive from San Antonio through Louisiana, Alabama, and Georgia, maybe through some of Florida. Basically, we chose to travel through a bunch of COVID hotspots. Oh, I packed a bag that I jokingly called my psychosis bag, because uh, it has like hand wipes and... Um, After months of disease, vigilant behavior, and limited exposure, we had made a plan that would keep us safe. Or, I mean, we thought it would. All right, so now we are ready to leave for our adventure. Well, I don't know where my sunglasses are. Andrea's got to go back inside. (laughs) On this episode of The Shakeout, we look at travel. COVID's story in the U.S. is inextricably linked to the industries that make up travel. Confirmed COVID cases first appeared in the U.S., via cruise passengers. Modern pandemics spread throughout the globe through air travel. Now, months later, these industries are feeling the pain. Hotel closures, consolidation, and millions laid off. And when you talk to these folks, you get the real sense that they all sort of feel like they're pressed right up against the edge of a cliff. It's terrifying. People all over the world are are watching their businesses be absolutely destroyed. Uh, because of this pandemic. Yeah, across the industry, they are feeling the same fear as this hotel owner I spoke with. That's Michael Taylor, financial columnist for the Express News and Houston Chronicle. He's joining me on The Shakeout because he's been writing a lot about the industry. And a lot of that is being felt in Texas. Texas, it's like a whole other country. It's Dallas, and big things happen here. Houston! The Texas Great Outdoors. Explore it. We have two airlines headquartered in the state. Americans new 707B luxury jet. More than 5,000 hotels and 1.2 million jobs connected to the industry. The state estimates $80 billion come from direct travel spending. And double that in economic impact. Travelers going out to eat, buying souvenirs, etc., etc. Last year, Texas Governor Greg Abbott wrote that if we didn't have travel revenue, every one of Texas's 29 million residents would have to cough up an extra $740 in taxes to plug the hole. It's clearly a key industry. Mike's also joining me because he's been traveling, too, during the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. My wife and my two kids and I have traveled a couple of times in the past few months. 
And your wife's an epidemiologist, right? Yeah, my wife is a doc, and she heads up a committee of subject experts helping the city of San Antonio make decisions about reopening. We went on a couple of road trips, one to New Mexico and another to the Texas coast in Rockport and some Texas state parks as well, west of San Antonio. How was it? Yeah, it was super nice, but, you know, weird. Yeah, I mean, this exact scenario has been in my mind as I try to make plans for the holidays to go visit my folks. Do I do I go? Do I not? If I'm there, how do we celebrate? But you two went on two trips, the second of which your wife wouldn't go on. Yeah, for sure. My wife would not fly. And at the time we were discussing this, mid-July, I decided to take my kids to visit my elderly parents who live on Cape Cod. But Mike's wife won't travel by plane, nor will most of America. Airports are still seeing less than half what they once did. And it's seven months after the first closures. And air travel is the linchpin of the travel industry. And since the pandemic started, airlines have lost billions of dollars in revenue. Didn't they get a big bailout from Congress, though? Yeah, they did. Congress gave them $25 billion um, back in April. And when it passed that relief, there was hope that the pandemic might be mostly over by summer or fall. I remember the feeling. I mean, I was certain at the beginning of the pandemic I'd be going to a Cubs game in June. Yeah, but now we know. The numbers have not come back. If you go to the San Antonio airport today, it's obvious that this industry is nowhere close to business as usual. So we are in Terminal A right now at the ticket counters. We're standing in front of the Southwest ticket counter where maybe a dozen people are waiting to check in and check their bags, um, looking at a lot of self-serve kiosks, which are big now. This is Robin Schmerber. She's a special projects manager at the San Antonio airport, and she's part of the impromptu COVID task force there. And they've been trying to make the airport as safe as it possibly can be. Every few feet somewhere, there's a a sanitizer offered to you. Uh, We've got transparent shields now installed at all the counters. Uh, for our airlines. But their daily traffic is still way below what it used to be. The rope lines in front of the ticket counters are emptier. The terminals are, are definitely less crowded. And then fewer planes come and go. And that drop in traffic worries the people who work there. Business has picked up, but our numbers are still pretty much cut in half. Kathy Chapman is a Southwest ticket agent at the San Antonio airport. She's the one who checks your luggage and scans your ticket at the gate. She says she actually wanted to work for Southwest ever since she saw their commercials growing up. Remember what it was like before there was somebody else up there who loved you? There was no The image of the girls wearing the hot pants and watching the CEO in some of the commercials and just growing up. And I lived in Dallas and I felt, hey, I could be that girl in the hot pants on TV someday. Remember what it was like before Southwest Airlines? You didn't have hostages in hot pants. By the time I came to work for Southwest, no more hot pants. But I still am glad that I made that choice. Kathy's worked here for 20 years. And throughout the spring, when everything except essential businesses shut down, she was still coming to work. It was very stressful for me. As far as coming to work, I wondered, am I going to catch this virus Am I going to get this virus? Will any of us get it? Will we carry it? Will it be spread through our airport? Would it be, you know, would we get it from a customer? And it affected us so much that we had a lot of people that would come to work stressing in our break room, in the back, and not in front of the customers, but we would get together and try to talk each other through it, encourage each other just to stay positive, you know, Kathy says she's pretty good at talking people through hard times. And at church every week, she made notes on the sermon to share with her coworkers. Then I would play some music 
to kind of help us through every day. I would play it in our break room, in our checkout room, in our conference room. In the empty airport with not much to do, she and some of her coworkers played bingo, partly to pass the time, partly to cheer themselves up. And they knew that even though they weren't losing their jobs right then, the industry was in bad shape. Our customers would say, wow, am I the only one on this flight? A lot of cases, we did have only one passenger on a flight. Many a nights, many a days, our flight loads dropped significantly. The flight schedule dropped significantly. Back in March and April, we were all concerned and we all had thoughts that we could possibly lose our jobs because we looked as there was no need for us to be there. So was it the CARES Act money that meant they couldn't lay Kathy off? That's right. But the CARES Act would expire October 1st. So even back in the spring, Kathy started preparing for what might happen. So when this pandemic started, I made a plan to cut spending and to start paying things off. So when I buy something, if I'm spending my money, then is it a need or is it just a want? So I would cut all those things that I used to do. I would go out to eat. I would hang out with friends. I would shop. I cut it all out. Southwest said it will not lay anyone off until at least January. Delta made similar promise and a similarly optimistic projection, but the CARES Act protections for workers expired, and you may have seen in the news that two airlines made huge cuts to their workforce. Yeah, American, which is based in Fort Worth, and United Airlines both made layoffs on October 1st. Between the two of them, they laid off 32,000 workers. Uh, my name is Ian Lordy, and I worked for American Airlines as a flight attendant. One of those people was Ian Lordy, He's been a flight attendant at American Airlines for three years. American laid off 8,000 flight attendants. Thousands more took early retirement offers. And you kind of get punched in the gut. <laughs> it, that whole day was just like, because you're now hit with the real reality of, okay, I guess like, I guess this is it. You know, what am I going to do? And so forth and so on. So a huge chunk of the layoffs at airlines have been flight attendants. Yeah, they were hit harder than other employees. There were a lot of them, and the number of flight attendants needed is based on planes that are flying. So when air traffic drops, their jobs get cut. I imagine Ian and other flight attendants were watching that October 1st deadline with just incredible dread. Yeah, I think everyone saw months ago that people wouldn't be flying October 1st, and they reasonably expected Congress to pass more relief. But then as it got closer and closer, they all sort of clung to that idea. Nobody wanted to imagine what all those layoffs would be like. But now here we are. So then Ian talked about getting on his last flight. You know, I woke up that morning. I was fine. And then once I showed up to the airport, you think, oh, this is the last time I'm going to do this. this is the last time I'm going to do that. And then you get on the airplane and you start talking to each other. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this really is starting to hit home a lot. That night, they all were laid over and had dinner together as a sort of goodbye. Got up in the morning, flew to Charlotte, and then connected to Dallas. Said goodbye to all these people on the plane. I walked off and was like, I, I'm done. That's it. Ian says he's not sure what's going to come next. He and his partner are moving to Dallas in a few months, but he's also now reevaluating his finances. He lost his health insurance, and the alternative is to pay for Cobra, which he says would cost him 700 bucks a month. Gosh, you know, God forbid... I get sick with COVID, and I'm one of those people that, you know, has to go to the hospital. It almost goes without saying, but losing your health insurance during a global pandemic is incredibly scary. 
yeah, not only is it scary to go through as a person, it's counterproductive towards stopping the pandemic if people like Ian can't even afford to go to the hospital. I mean, I thought everyone in Congress was sort of in favor of propping up the airline industry to prevent these massive layoffs. I mean, what happened? They could never settle on who to offer relief to. Democrats wanted more people and money than Republicans who wanted to target it to industries. Ian says watching it unfold and knowing it impacted him was really frustrating. So when an agreement can't seem to be reached for whatever reasons they're putting forward that they won't, you know, do that, it makes you think, are you not, do you not see me? Do you not see us? Do you not see what we do? I mean, regardless, Congress couldn't have propped up this industry indefinitely if the revenue just wasn't there, right? The industry will definitely need to cut back. The government can help airlines rebound a little bit, but some projections estimate that air travel won't return to normal levels until 2024. If we're talking about years of lower air travel, that's going to have downstream effects on lots of businesses that depend on people moving by plane. Fewer people on planes mean fewer people in hotels. Hotels say they're in dire need of government help. Can 50,000 hotels really be foreclosed on? What does it mean for low-skilled jobs, the employees that take them, and the communities that rely on those tax dollars? I'm Paul Flav. This is The Shakeout. We'll be right back. I'm heading to an interview, wanting to get there early. It's at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center with uh, the head of Visit San Antonio. I think this is my exit. I have a feeling it's going to be very, very easy to find parking in downtown San Antonio right now. Welcome back to The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav, and that's me back in August on my way to interview the head of Visit San Antonio, the marketing arm of San Antonio's tourism industry. And I have a parking space. Hospitality and leisure is the city's fifth largest industry. Visit San Antonio often says one in seven residents work in it. They say it's about $15 billion in economic impact coming from more than 39 million people that visit every single year. That money being spent by 39 million people who visit the city every single year. And yet when I get out of my car to walk the block to the convention center, the streets are barren, devoid of people. Wait, it's really not much uh, traffic at all down here. Gone are the red double-decker buses packed with elderly tourists. There's no crowds of conventioneers with plastic wrap badges dangling from neck lanyards, desperately trying to figure out where to eat lunch, other than that Denny's across the street. No idle travelers making their way through the parks or staring down at the San Antonio River. Visit San Antonio? Yeah, I'm meeting them here. The security guard takes my ID, checks it against my name, before directing me to a kiosk next to him. What do I do? You just line up your eyes with the uh, eye hole right there. What's this thing do? It takes your temperature and gives you a little stick. It's supposed to make it faster. Supposed to. So it's taking a photo of me. It prints out a name tag with my mask-shrouded face on a green sticker. The kiosk, which cost more than $8,000 a piece, will be just one of several ways they're trying to make people feel safer about coming to their business meeting. Walking across the lobby of the 1.6 million square foot convention center was odd because it was empty. This is what it usually sounds like. (laughs) 
That was the 2017 ISTE conference. It's a bunch of educators learning about which computers to buy. Now... It's a lot different than how Visit San Antonio CEO Cassandra Mate found the city nine years ago when she interviewed for the job. I remember on a Tuesday sitting on the river walk going, look at all the people, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, it was just so awesome. Here, exotic is the standard. When visitors talk about San Antonio, it's often a convention that brought them here, and it's even more often that the thing they remember is the San Antonio Riverwalk. And the world-famous 15-mile-long Riverwalk. The two miles of river snaking through the city crowded with bars and restaurants is often the destination for weary conventioneers and travelers pouring out of nearby hotels after a long day of networking, sales, or trying to find the Alamo. People walk the narrow trails alongside the tree-lined river. Revelers float by on water taxi tours. In the summertime, uh, we are the leisure travel destination for the state of Texas. Um, on an annual basis, we welcome uh, around 39 million people to San Antonio, of which a big portion of that is conventions and meetings. Those were the days. The city lost more than 200 meetings and conventions across its hotels and convention centers since March. $60 million from the hotel occupancy taxes and facilities revenues evaporated. They only anticipate making back about a third of that in 2021. All that damage in just seven months. The taxes pay back the debt the city took to build this $325 million facility and fund improvements downtown. But there's a lot more being lost. You know, sometimes I think people forget about that domino effect. Those same people staying in hotels are going to restaurants, are going shopping, are going to our museums. They're paying sales tax, which go into our general funds of our city. So impact the streets, uh, safety. San Antonio cut $80 million from its budget in April, including $50 million for roads and a million for domestic violence, which sounds small, but the city has some of the highest rates of domestic violence in the state. You know, our industry is estimating that we probably will not be at pre-COVID levels as far as meetings, hotel occupancy, until the end of 23, maybe even the beginning of 2024. People have already started doing personal travel to a larger extent, Mate says. Next year, they don't know what to expect on business travel, but she's certain people want to meet in person. Um, we still have a lot of clients that are telling us that they want to hold their meeting. Um, if I had a crystal ball, I would tell you it's going to be probably a hybrid situation where maybe they were supposed to have 10,000 people and now it may only be 5,000. Not everyone is so sure. Haywood Sanders is a professor at the University of Texas, San Antonio. The American Heart Association. 2006 in Chicago, they had 26,878 attendees. And the most recent time they were in Chicago was in 2018 when they had 15,500. So somehow 10,000 attendees have evaporated. The past 12 years, his numbers show him that fewer people were going to conventions before the pandemic. And the last seven months have been world altering. People are doing virtual events and they're likely to keep on doing them, even if it's just in part. And even if a COVID vaccine is found. Yeah, obviously that sector is going to take a serious hit. And the question is, are those jobs ever going to come back to a significant degree? Hi. 
now's the door. Uh, lights. That's my wife, Andrea, again. This is the second hotel on the road trip we took this summer, and the second room she's wiped down upon our arrival. Uh, I'm wiping down heavily touched surfaces. <laughs> I brought the wipes from home. I think I'm done. Now I wash my hands again. Now I think any hotel owner or operator would probably tell you that this was unnecessary. In fact, convincing you that their rooms are clean and safe is a major part of their recovery plan. So what we launched just this week was uh, in a partnership with Lysol. Uh, one of the That's Chris Nacetta, the CEO of Hilton Hotel, speaking at an April 29 White House press conference. And the Mayo Clinic, one of the most uh, reputable health uh, uh, organizations in the world. No, I, I totally agree. That's what I heard in San Antonio. Hotels believe that sanitation is a key element to their coming back. The brands have set some very, very high standards on sanitation. That's Henry Feldman, a leader in the local hotel industry and an owner of the La Quinta Inn and Suites in San Antonio's medical center. We're required to go into every room um, and go through every surface in that room in detail. Um, and we have an inspector that goes in afterwards just to make sure it's been done properly. Right now, he says most hotels are doing about 15 to 30 percent occupancy and most need about 65 percent occupancy just to break even. Well, it's devastating. I mean, um, the lack of ability to have enough cash to pay your mortgage uh, since April. Uh, we're able to pay our other bills, but where this is going to end, we don't know. There's a possibility that we could lose the hotel if the government doesn't step in. Okay, so I get that hotels need help, but I mean, aren't hotel owners pretty wealthy and have access to credit and capital? People often think that. It's quite reasonable. A hotel owner does run the free world. Undoubtedly, it is true that people who own hotels generally have money, but they don't necessarily have enough to make them run without income. These are high-cost enterprises. They employ lots of people, uh, salaries, payroll. And if you don't have customers, there is no revenue. And so as a result, the whole industry is really in the middle of a debt crisis. Hotels, to a large extent, are not even able to pay their mortgages. The whole industry was caught flat-footed. We prepare for a recession. We're prepared for any damage to the hotel from fire or any incidents like that. Uh, so we're, we're, we're prepared for, for normal things that go on in the economy. But we're certainly uh, not prepared for an extensive shutdown of the business for what could be as much as 15 months. Without getting too technical, Feldman had a really good financing deal uh, through Wall Street in what's called a commercial mortgage-backed security. These are great in most scenarios, but when things go bad, the disadvantage is they are very inflexible. He has nobody to negotiate with. He doesn't have a traditional bank loan where he could have a relationship and they could work with him over time. They're not going to want to foreclose on 50,000 or more uh, hotels over the next year and, and uh, certainly still not have any income. So... So what do people like Henry Feldman want to happen? He and many others in the industry are asking for seven-year loans from the federal government. That could save the industry. That could literally save the industry. 
and it would simply be a loan from the federal government. It wouldn't be a giveaway. But it's really unlikely they get relief before the election. And it's important to remember that it isn't just Feldman. This is hundreds of workers at just one hotel. Just to give you an idea of how many people this affects, I asked Henry to walk me through a, his now nearly empty hotel. Walking into a very large La Quinta Inn near the medical center in San Antonio, Texas. The weather is perfect. The parking lot is mostly empty. Walking through the hallway, looking for the main desk. Uh, well, certainly uh, the front desk agent is checking you in and checking you out and answering questions and also acting as a concierge. It's the front desk. It's the guy that cleans the gym equipment. On your left as you walked in was a sales office and we have two people full time in there um, making sales calls. They also have a conference center. There are servers, there's a banquet uh, manager um, that takes care of. He declined to say how many, but he's already let go a number of people. Um, you've got the breakfast ladies that are taking But if you're getting 35% occupancy, it wouldn't be a surprise to say more than half of the staff are gone so we do all our own laundry. And then you've got the housekeepers and the supervisors that oversee those housekeepers. That's a lot of lives he is responsible for. I, I, I mean, you can very easily get totally depressed about this. Uh, I've got a responsibility to my staff to, to keep them motivated and keep them going because they're as concerned as I am. When you've got something that is, that is so totally out of your control and there's nothing you can do about it, um, to get deeply depressed about it doesn't help. There are more than 5,000 hotels in Texas. The American Hotel and Lodging Association says half could close if Congress takes no action. Yeah, so we know that three of the top 10 cities for hotels that aren't paying their mortgages are Dallas, Houston, and Austin. And as we've discussed, San Antonio relies on this industry. 74% of hotels are expecting to lay additional people off in coming months. And those jobs will fall disproportionately on black and brown women. I was able to reach someone just like that. A woman laid off from the Grand Hyatt, which is connected to the city's convention center. Mary Saceda was one of the dozens of housekeepers laid off from the company as business dried up. Really, I mean, I'm living day by day trying to see how I'm going to get money. You know what I mean? Asking for loans. She liked her job and wants to go back if they'll let her. It, along with her husband's job as a mechanic, was helping her raise five kids. But not anymore. Not only because she lost her job, because she lost her husband. He got COVID and passed away. I have to pay the water. I have to pay the light. Everything. I'm behind in everything right now. And then... Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't because that employment is not enough. It's clear from our conversation Mary is overwhelmed. I mean, it was just three months ago that she lost her husband and her debts are piling up. Yes, really terrifying. And she isn't sure what she's going to do. The industry she worked in for so long is barely holding on. What job will she go to next? She says the government has forgotten people like her. And they don't care. They don't care about us because they got money. They got money, they got health insurance, they have all that, and we don't. We don't have his health insurance. I don't have it. I used to get it from my work, and they took it off because we're unemployed. An 
Alan Baruby with the Brookings Institution says Mary's not far off. You know, we did emergency relief early on when everybody was feeling the pain. But now that specific kinds of people are feeling the pain, it seems we're really not doing enough. And it's especially present in San Antonio. Higher unemployment, small business closures, more of a need for emergency assistance like food. That's San Antonio to a T. I mean, we have really persistent problems. The cities and the regions where a larger share of the economy is tied up in travel and tourism uh, are among those that have experienced the most severe job losses and economic impacts. Many cities across the country are trying to help people hold on, keeping people from being evicted, trying to find additional funds to help them. San Antonio is one of them, and it's trying to prepare them for life after hospitality through training programs. Always be on time. Always be on time. Going to an interview, always be on time. Geronimo Moreno is pumping up his class for job interviews at Port San Antonio. This IT course is one of two paid for by CARES Act money through the local government. It's free for people who lost their job in the pandemic. And between this and the HR class next door, several of the students come from the hospitality industry. We did reservations. We did cancellations. We also took escalated calls. So we did a little bit of everything. Trish Johnson worked at a call center for a major hotel chain for seven years. She and 500 others in San Antonio handled the company's reward program. The calls was like back to back to back to back to back to back. We never had a breather. But as we've heard in every story, things changed in March. Mm, they were calling. They were calling a lot was to cancel the reservations, and then the calls slowed down. We get like a call every maybe five. 10 minutes and they want to pay us just to sit there. They were furloughed, then a few weeks later they were fired. She says the health insurance has run out. The severance was, quote, like $100. Sometimes we just eat what, eat some tuna fish or something and that's it because we don't have nothing to eat, no money, because unemployment is very, very little. I guess very little. And we need some kind of assistance to help, more assistance to help us with that because at the end of the day it's not our fault that COVID-19 came and they treating us like secondhand citizens is what I see. Now, halfway through her HR certification, she's hoping she can get a job when it's over. But people need help right now. More government relief. More money to pay bills. Uh, we lost my grandmother about two months ago to that. And it's just horrible. We have, I have to worry about what's going on with me as far as no job, everything. And then on top of that, we have loved ones dying and people are still dying from COVID-19. And the government is sitting up there sliding their feet. It won't give us relief when we really need this relief. And come on, give us the $600. We need it. Even though she has harsh words about her former employer, she says she would try and work for them again in the new role. Because when times were good, they were good to her. But when times got bad, they really weren't. There are 4 million fewer jobs in leisure and hospitality compared to last year. As we've seen in airlines and with the potential for mass hotel foreclosures, people expect tens of thousands, if not more, in job losses. And there isn't any real sense that the government can sustain airlines and hotels and cities and communities until the industry comes back. 2024 is a long way away. I mean, I don't know, Mike, how do you feel about travel? Are you, you obviously are doing it. 
You have done it three times now. Yeah, the COVID expert in my family is my wife, and she will not get on a plane. Um, I've had to do it because of what I would consider essential visits, but only essential visits. For vacations, we're a strictly driving family for the foreseeable future. And as my wife tells it, this could be a year, 18 months, two years. I can see why the travel industry is looking to 2024 for a, for recovery. And I mean, I have still not stepped onto a plane since March, uh, actually since prior to that. And I probably won't uh, come Christmas. I I plan to to drive. Uh, I will stay in a hotel, but I do plan to drive the thousand or so miles to see my folks and then drive it back. I mean, I guess it really does boil down to this industry, like a lot of industries, is is just hoping, praying, waiting for a vaccine. And even then, it's not even clear if people will feel safe. Yeah, we've been focused on economic impacts and bailouts and subsidies and financial solutions. The The solution to the real problem is medical, technological, scientific. It's a vaccine. Uh, and, and unfortunately... The timing of that is pretty unknown. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like a vaccine is the remedy not just for our health, but for our economy. Well, Michael Taylor, thanks so much for joining me on The Shakeout today. Paul, it's always a pleasure. On the next episode of The Shakeout, we take a look at the oil industry. Oil drives Texas, and it's in the midst of a bust as bad as any have ever seen. Look. This downturn is going to make the downturn of the 80s look like a cakewalk when it's all over and done. Check out the long story we published on travel at tpr.org. I want to thank Michael Taylor for helping us out on this episode. This episode of The Shakeout was produced by Ben Henry. It was edited by Kitty Isley, overseen by news director Dan Katz. This is a production of Texas Public Radio, which is shepherded by Joyce Slocum. I'm Paul Flav. Thanks for listening. 